we're so used to seeing things that, in my opinion, aren't quite right in our treatment of animals. You know, the less we eat, the less violence is being done, and the less destruction to the environment. Everyone eats, and everyone has to make a moral decision every time that we sit down to the table. Welcome to the Animal Voices Radio Show, Western Canada's only radio program on animal advocacy and compassionate living. This is 100.5 FM Co-op Radio, CFRO, on unceded and ancestral Tsleil-Waututh, Musqueam, and Squamish territories in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. Today is Friday, December the 11th, 2020. I am your host, Allison Cole, and I am joined here today by our co-host, Sinead Sanders. Hello. And Grace Wampold. Hi there. Welcome, everyone. It's been a while since we've had us particular three, quite a while, hosting the show. So so thank you for being there with me. And we're being COVID safe as we have been since March. I am speaking to both of you via Skype and you both look great. Your images are very clear. I feel like you're in the same room. So so being almost mid-December, I think that you could say the holidays are here. Sometimes it's kind of hard to tell when you're working nonstop like I am and, and working at night, sleep in the day, but we're at the point where there's still time to plan how you're going to celebrate perhaps a different kind of way this year, depending on where you live. Because of the pandemic, we're generally isolated, we're without extended family for the holidays, and we can engage in a lot of the activities that you might want to participate in the spirit of the holiday season. But we have uh, two fabulous animal-loving vegan foodie guests on today's show with whom we will feature interviews later on. They both love to make great plant-based food as their activism for the planet and to show the masses how this can be achieved. For our first interview, we'll start with a main meal, speaking with Ryan Shepard, who runs the vegan food blog, The Vegan Rhino. He has just published a new ebook that Veg News Magazine named as one of the top 10 for this year's holiday season, and it is called, aptly enough, The Ultimate Vegan Holiday Feast. Ryan will be speaking to us about the joys of plant-based cooking, animal advocacy issues, and the kinds of foods he'll be making this year for the ultimate vegan vegan holiday feast, and a safe COVID Christmas. And then for the dessert portion of the show, we'll have a vegan blogger who wears on many hats, such as vegan mom, vegan cookie mix entrepreneur, plant-based nutritionist, and vegan cookbook author, as she has just published a new book called Vegan Christmas Cookies and Cocoa. This is Audrey Denham. You might know of the famous comedian Jeff Denham, who is her husband. They went vegan not too many years ago, and Audrey will be telling us the story of what it is like to find vegan veganism and have the whole family transform into a vegan family. What a great story it is. She'll also be speaking about the art and joy of vegan baking and about some of her favorite cookie and hot drink recipes from that book. So that is coming up in about 30 minutes. Please do stay tuned. So the reason I brought both you, Sinead, and Grace on today's show is because, first of all, I wanted to say happy holidays to you both. Happy holidays. <laughs> Happy holidays. 
And also, I know this is kind of a weird winter holiday that everyone will be experiencing this year. And while we all may be celebrating it in different variations aside from our normal ways, the one thing we all have in common in this radio and podcast sphere is that we have restrictions in place, especially here in British Columbia, Canada. Sinead, can you just quickly give a a summary update on what restrictions we are facing here now in BC for December until January? Yeah, well, it's uh, there have been lots of <clears throat> lots of different restrictions put in place in different contexts for different businesses across the province. Um, what is going to be affecting people most immediately when it comes to the holidays is the restrictions in social gatherings. So whereas before, over the summer, we had low enough numbers that we were allowed to gather with uh, what Bonnie Henry was calling the safe six, you know, keeping our groups small to uh, no more than six people. Now we are restricted to household members only unless we live alone, in which case we can have a bubble of one or two other people for uh, for some sanity some social interaction yeah so that's posing a difficult thing for a lot of people over the holidays because not everybody lives with their family or friends who they would like to be with over the holidays but uh, but here we are and this will remain this uh, these restrictions will remain in place until the beginning of January and we're hearing a lot of people expressing a, a lot of sadness or frustration or sometimes anger over this situation where we can't be with our loved ones at a time like this. But I do think it's important to keep perspective that we are distancing this year to make sure that everyone is alive to join and gather together next year. And we are not entirely hopeless in this situation either. We still have ways of reaching out to each other. We're we're keeping our distance because we care about each other. And there are ways we can communicate through technology and and even ways if you're feeling hopeless or lonely. I've found one way to feel better about that is even just donating. If you happen to be fortunate enough to have extra funds to uh, to donate if you're feeling powerless about the world and you're just thinking I'm lonely and I don't know what to do if you have the resources to do so throw even 20 bucks at some organization that's going to be helping your community and that is that is just one of, of many ways to uh, to be a part of the community and keep the holiday spirit going through all this yeah, I think that's a great idea. And this is a time of year where uh, we at Animal Voices usually remind our listeners of some different charities that are very much deserving of your money. And if you want to get your tax credits, now is the time to put in your donation. So that's a great idea. And don't forget that uh, Vancouver Co-op Radio is one of those charities as well. But we wanted to use this segment as this is a community radio station. We want to bring people together. And one of our themes is to, as you said, Sinead, we're doing this for a better future. We want to look on the bright side. So while you might feel lonely, I know this is the first Christmas I'll ever be spending alone and the first Christmas ever apart from my family. So uh, we're separated into three different cities and I'm one of those single people who I'm allowed to join a family of my choosing and my parents said no when I asked them. So there you go. So I'm thinking, okay, well, that actually frees up maybe 
about 10 days of my time this December and let's see how I can spend it. But I wanted to hear first from, maybe we'll talk to you, Grace. You're in the U.S. right now. How do you plan to spend a COVID safe and happy Christmas or Hanukkah? Oh, yes. We celebrate both in my household, actually. So you're both, you're correct in both ways. But I was one of the people who was living alone and decided that my parents would be my two people uh so they and they took me in with open arms (laughs) nice parents Uh, just just me and my parents right now so it's gonna be a really nice quiet holiday and I'm probably gonna fry some latkes on the 10th of December um and then do it again we'll be touching on that in next week's show actually Mm. and doing some nice things that I actually haven't done in years for the first time ever we're veganizing some really, really old, old recipes for my family. I'm going to make chocolate caramels, which is my favorite thing that I haven't had in over six years. And sprinkle cookies and all those regular things. I just got through my final papers. So for a lot of us students, we're feeling super relaxed and yeah, some a lot of things. <laughs> Congratulations. I know that feeling. Yeah. It's like a big, uh, yeah, <sighs> a big exhale. Exactly. So I think a lot of people are experiencing that right now with online school for the first time. And what about you, Sinead? You have an um, interesting way to spend your COVID safe holiday this year. Let us know about it. Yeah, so I will be spending the holidays at this house where I have lived for the past six years and uh and it's actually being sold in the new year and um so this will be the last christmas here and it will be the first christmas dinner held here that will be all vegan thanks to the pandemic actually so i mean we're talking yay, about yay pandemic. It's, <laughs> it's veganizing everyone it's, uh, by the way we have a pandemic because people aren't vegan yeah so, and so that we've talked about that before yeah and so i mean actually when i mentioned before you know people feeling powerless and feeling like, you know, there's something feeling lonely and feeling powerless, something great that you can do to empower yourself to uh, ensure happier holidays in the future is to try a vegan meal, Try, try a vegan Christmas dinner. You know, it might seem daunting to people around the holidays, you know, trying new recipes and things, but really it is, um, it's, totally the spirit of the holidays anyway right it's compassion right and it's looking after each other and eating animals is a leading cause of pandemics and a leading cause of climate change and if we're looking after each other then hey like let's try something here it's not as though it is very much of a sacrifice when we have so many plant-based options available to us that are totally delicious so this year at this house I'm at, nobody really feels like cooking. Yeah, you know, we're just even though you just told us to cook. Over here, we're just not into it. There's just too much going on. So I'm taking this opportunity to support one of my favorite local businesses plant-based foods and natural products who we've had on the show before for sure David is Bister and uh, normally he hosts these eat club dinners every December these holiday feasts that are totally delicious but I've never 
been able to make it because of all the stuff I'm usually busy doing around this time of year. But because everything else is canceled and I'm just here at this house, then it's the perfect opportunity to take PlantBase up on their offer to deliver a holiday feast right to your house. Yeah, everything. <laughs> but everybody is looking forward to this vegan holiday feast because they have tried plant-based food and natural products before and they know how delicious the food is and so so we're all looking forward to that and I know I'm not the only one who is just not prepared to be running around the grocery store and uh, to pick up ingredients and cook this year um, other people have been have asked about um, delivery <clears throat> holiday meal delivery over the holidays and uh, plant-based vegan meals for the holidays so a few of the christmas dinner deliveries that are available from different restaurants or caterers include plant-based foods mila plant-based new restaurants downtown on main street also eternal abundance is offering a delivered vegan holiday meal and also apparently nuba is doing a plant-based option for a holiday meal delivery as well. So if anybody's looking for a Christmas dinner delivered to your house, then uh, there are some suggestions for you. Yeah, and that actually makes a good gift as well for whoever is in your bubble. I'm thinking, I want to order all of them. There's lots of days to try that out. That sounds amazing. And then I just found out too, Virtuous Pie is now offering their famous holiday pizza for the month of December. This holiday pie is so delicious. It's actually like eating your whole holiday dinner on top of a 10-inch piece of pizza dough. So try it before it disappears in the new year. I'm also moving in the new year. I think a lot of us can relate to that. So of course you don't want all this food and all these ingredients before you're moving house. So a lot of us who are alone can't, we don't have the space in our fridges to cook ourselves a holiday meal. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. No kidding, right? Well, I still wanted to chat about, for me, the spirit of the winter holidays is about giving. And, you know, we can't do so much this year because we can't really have contact with people. But I'm thinking, like, I was re-inspired by Audrey's new book, Vegan Christmas Cookies and Cocoa, because her recipes look so amazing. I used to make about 10 different kinds of vegan Christmas cookies every year for over, like, maybe 15 years in a row until life got crazy and I had to stop. And I would gift them out to everyone at my work. Well, I would say like maybe my three workplaces, everyone at Animal Voices, any friends who I was gifting to. And this was my way of giving because I love making food gifts, right? What's better for the holidays than receiving homemade food, right? So Audrey has re-inspired me to dive into her book, which I have. It's on ebook. And to try out all the cookies or as many as I can during the birthday break here. And then also the vegan rhino who we have for our first interview. I have his ebook as well, The Ultimate Vegan Holiday Feast. And then also I wanted to mention the Veg News Magazine holiday issue. They always have a lot of amazing recipes in their holiday issue. So basically there's such a variety of options of foods to make for someone who doesn't usually get to cook. But I only like cooking 
cooking for people. So I'm trying to think like, how can I make, I want to make a, a few huge meals for my one friend in my bubble who also is solo for Christmas. But I'm thinking, how do I maybe incorporate my cookies and maybe like, maybe I can just do a big delivery day around Vancouver one day and hand them out that way. I'm thinking giving, right? And I'm also thinking, how can I give to animals for the holiday season? I want to look in to see if there's shelters or maybe sanctuaries that need help while I have the time during the holidays. And again, looking on the bright side, as we said, right? So don't think of deprivation, but it's just going to be different. It actually is kind of making me excited to stay here in Vancouver and (laughs) cook and bake and, you know, maybe help animals directly and That'll be my compassionate, COVID-safe vegan holiday. Yay! Grace gave me the thumbs up. I give both of you the thumbs up for having your individual plans in place as well. I'm hoping that this segment itself inspires our listeners to think maybe out of the box on how you can turn this into a positive thing with the changes that are being made wherever you are in whatever part of the world and what you can do creatively, whether you love making food or you're thinking, wow, Sinead has a great point let's just order all the food (laughs) or if you live in a family and how you can make delicious food for them and just how you can be compassionate think more about the animals give give to charities give to animal charities give to human rights causes we're all animals right and think about your impact on how you can make the holidays what it really is is i think it's about sharing and giving anything to add additionally here here Everybody marches to their own beat. At our West End plant-based restaurant Beatbox, whether you're a vegetarian, vegan, or flexitarian, we've got a taste-first menu of meat alternatives that fits everyone's lifestyle. From conscious comfort food, like our signature fried chicken sandwich, made with breaded and fried seitan, crispy gorditas, and green pea falafels, to warm bowls, hot and cold sides and salads, we've got plenty of plant-based ways to get you thinking inside the box. 1074 Davie Street. Online orders are available for pickup and delivery through BeatBoxVeg.com. That's B-E-E-T BoxVeg.com. For our first holiday-themed interview today, we have Florida-based and plant-based chef Ryan Shepard on the show. He is the founder of the new business, The Vegan Rhino, whose mission it is to promote healthy foods, simple recipes, and to help animals live lives without being confined, tortured, or killed inhumanely. Cooking since a young child and now a recent vegan, Ryan enjoys introducing vegan-friendly food alternatives to the masses while advocating for animals. You can catch him on his vegan food blog at theveganrhino.com for all sorts of recipes and more. Ryan has just published an e-cookbook called The Ultimate Vegan Holiday Feast, full of so yummy looking dishes for the holidays. He's here on the show today to discuss how we can celebrate the ultimate vegan holiday with amazing plant-based foods and to also speak about advocacy for the animals. Hello, Ryan, and welcome to the Animal Voices Show. Thank you, Allison, for that kind introduction and for those highlights you mentioned on some of the work that I've previously done as I began the Vegan Rhino in 2018. 
Well, I love vegan holiday cookbooks, and I was excited last week to see you announced as the author of one of Edge News Magazine's top 10 vegan cookbooks of the holiday season. So I wanted to learn more about you and to have you on the show. I see you are a relatively new vegan. To start, can you tell us about your vegan journey and your relationship with food and cooking since a young boy? I understand you had a burning ambition to become a chef and run a restaurant at age five years old. Well, thank you, Allison. Yeah, I did. Um, You know, my uh, burning transition into veganism and cooking in general kind of began, as you mentioned, around 2017, when I got back into cooking and just wanting to further myself in uh, health and sustainability. My journey with food, I would say, really catapulted itself with my grandmother around the age of five years old. Me and her, back as far as I can remember, would, you know, I'd sit on the countertop and we would go over, you know, ingredients and things like that. And we would put together little cakes and sometimes box cakes. But, you know, I'd always remember how much I just enjoyed and loved that bond that I had with her and with food in general, which kind of transitioned a little bit to me, you know, dibble dabbling with ingredients as I got a little bit older, trying to just like create and make up, you know, cake mix or something like a cookie and, you know, trying to bake it and it not working. (laughs) But ultimately, all of those little, you know, failures or highs um, that I had, you know, really allowed me to push myself into a, a passion that I genuinely enjoyed you know, so much over the years. So today, you know, as you mentioned, I operate my company, The Vegan Rhino, and essentially it's just to show how easy it is to eat vegan. It's not only, you know, looking appealing, but it also tastes, you know, good. And this journey has just opened my eyes up to, you know, a new way of life that I never really saw before as non-vegan. And it's also really helped me, you know, even develop a new skill, which has been food photography. And that's been been awesome as well. So what exactly was the catalyst for you to go vegan? I understand it may have been a film that you watched. Yeah, it was actually What the Health. But even prior to that, I was watching this TV show called Alaska, The Last Frontier. So it's this great show about a family named the Kiltridges. Essentially, they live on a homestead in Alaska and, you know, they have all their land and they reuse and recycle, repurpose items that could be on their land for sheds or for, you know, machinery, tools, whatever that they need. You know, they would, you know, to say this, but they would actually, you know, kill their own animals. And I looked at that and I thought, wow, from a sustainability approach, how interesting is that? And I took on you know, what they were doing in that sense. And I was buying whole chickens, you know, organic and roasting and making broth and all that. And then, you know, came what the health. And when I turned that on and I saw, you know, all these different things still about sustainability, but in this new spotlight, it just kind of triggered something within me to to wake up. It was like a, a light switch, you know, just got flicked on inside. And, you know, I saw at that point what I was doing was not truly sustainable. It was in some aspects a step towards it. But for me, who was really trying to be as sustainable as possible, that approach was not sufficient. So I started researching and swapping everything out in my household that I could at that time, which was more just the food related items and just really kind of went with it. 
And, you know, the first week happened. And after that first week, I was like, okay, you know, this is good. You know, I did it another week. And after that week, it kind of just kept going. I just, I never saw that stopping factor in what I was doing. For me, I find, because I've been doing this for 20 seven years, I think there is, it's been a journey and there's always more you can do. So um, right, I, I call, yeah. I call myself maybe like a, le a level nine vegan these days because mm -hmm. I've been doing it for so long, but I'm discovering zero waste and I'm, I, I've already made the raw food route part of my life. And those are sort of like the top, the very top things to discover, but there's more as well. Mm -hmm. And I'm, and there's always more to learn, but, but wherever you want to get started, like you did, you, you, I mean, you started to change your lifestyle not that long ago. And now you've come so far as to actually make it your mission to share what, right. what your, what your lifestyle is to share the lifestyle with others. So let's talk about the vegan rhino. That's your new business. And what is your mission with it? So essentially my mission with the vegan rhino is basically I just want to show people the promotion of healthy foods, simple recipes, and just to help animals live a life without having them be confined, um, tortured, uh, killed in, inhumanely for my taste pleasure, you know, so to speak. Because I feel like a lot of people in general enjoy foods based on flavor and taste. And we kind of need to reconfigure that notion of what tastes good and where is it coming from. Because we kind of happen to just look at labels and packages instead of looking at, you know, the actual face of the product, which would in turn be, you know, a cow or a chicken or something like that. So that's my mission with the Vegan Rhino, just promoting healthy food. I want people to just be healthier than, you know, like uh, learn how to take something that they've grown loving their entire life and just make it a little bit healthier. You know, not sacrificing any of the flavor components, but just enjoying the food for what it is. Exactly. And I really enjoy eating food that comes from plant because there's just, there's so much you can make. I think that when you actually embrace a vegan lifestyle, it introduces such an abundance and people will think that they'll be actually lacking so much. But I think mm -hmm. that is so far from the truth. You learn how to make so many different types of flavors and tastes and textures and do things with vegetables that you never thought could be done before. So, and I can see that you have really embraced that. It, you've been seeing it from a positive view. And so you're getting positive results. Right. I've never really taken it as something that like, oh, you know, I've gone vegan now. I'm no longer to eat this. Or, right. you know, a big thing actually is cheese. You know, I'm sure you hear all the time, like, cheese, it just, it tastes so good. You know, I yeah. can't get rid of cheese for my life. Like, how could you give up cheese? And I always like to say, I don't. I yes. eat all the vegan cheese that I want, you know, and I make some too, and it's great. So I think changing that perspective, you know, and educating people as well, because I see those comments on vegan forums online where they say, what, I just can't cut out the cheese. Or even just if like a Facebook friend is polling people saying, uh, what's stopping you from being vegan? It's the cheese. So mm -hmm. I often try to make a comment and I say, but you can have cheese because these people don't know. 
And I right. was helping a friend of mine go from like zero to vegan once, like about five years ago. And he didn't even know about tofurkey sausages or anything like that. He didn't know right. there was a section for for yummy plant-based meats in the store, but he was okay with that. But but then it was like, it was exciting to him when he found that out. So, right. mm-hmm. so these days, 2020, 21, there is no reason to be deprived. There's um there's an alternative for everything. And I don't even think of these foods as alternatives because those cheeses that I recommend on forums or that you eat from the stores, they are the best. They are better. I used to be a cheese aficionado. Me too with my Parmesan. <laughs> uh, and I was a cheese addict. You know, that's the number yeah. one food addiction in North America, cheese and pizza. It really is, yeah. though. It has the same receptor. Yeah, and, yeah. If, and I always say, if I can do it, you can do it. But these days, there's because I, I did this a long time ago. These days, there's no reason to use that as an excuse. But perhaps people, I feel, just don't know. So they need, this is maybe along the lines of the dairy industry mm-hmm. outlawing the use of words like butter you have to say it's a non-dairy spread or something like that yeah and the dairy industry is very worried that people might choose a soy milk thinking that it's a cow's milk when there is no cow picture on the the carton of soy milk or almond milk or cashew milk or whatever it clearly says soy almond cashew macadamia milk oat milk flax milk whatever people aren't getting confused Mm -hmm. about that but this is this is what we're running against here is the the food industry doesn't want you to know exactly and who's to say you know what cheese is and what cheese isn't just because it's not made by you know lactose or by dairy or whatever it doesn't mean that it's still not cheese you know and yeah i think someone decided it has to be um, mammalian secretions but it's so much more yeah. than that. And I just find that to be, yeah, I agree. Yeah, I find it to be wrong. I mean, cheese is cheese. It's a food item. You know, we enjoy it. It's what it is. It doesn't need to be from dairy to be cheese. Yeah. It can be cheese with non-vegan or vegan. I mean, it's what it is. Yeah, we use the same process to make it. You said you make vegan cheese and so do I. And um, and it's the funnest thing to make vegan cheese as well. But we shall we shall move on to that because because you're talking about the vegan rhino and your mission about it. But I wanted to hear about the rhino component. Why the vegan rhino in a world where our rhinos are disappearing from the earth so rapidly? Yeah, I think that's a great thing to bring up about how rapidly you know, the rhino population has decreased over the years. You know, growing up, my uncle um, used to call me Rhino. My name is obviously Ryan. Rhino was just a nickname that he gave me. And that stuck with me throughout the years. So after going vegan, you know, I kind of thought with that nickname being just so fitting, because rhinos are one of the largest plant eaters, you know, on this earth, I took that idea and I just kind of ran with it. And, you know, just kind of created the vegan rhino, which entails me, Rhino, Ryan, being vegan. And this is the name, you know, of my company that, you know, it's been, you know, so amazing connecting and just like reaching with people that are on the same path as me that are newly on the path or that have been on it for a while, you know, and just connecting and divulging different information and and what we kind of gathered throughout our course of, you know, being vegan or plant-based or, you know, whatever it is. But um, as you mentioned, yeah, the rhinos are um, decreasing rapidly. And just to kind of share with some 
uh, numbers, I mean, three of the five species, you know, are on the endangered species list. And um, many of these rhinos are clinging on to what little lives that they have left, you know, for the future. And personally, I feel like it is our duty, you know, to save these victimized living beings from being further poached to the point where they can't be brought back. You know, and on my website specifically, I have, you know, a little donate page uh, for an organization called Save the Rhino, whose mission is to save the rhinos and just to reduce and, you know, ultimately end illegal trade. But I just really, I felt something when I was doing research on rhinos in general, but just, you know, really understanding what's going on with our animals and what they're facing due to human beings and what we're doing to this planet. So I just find it important to, when we can, to either to give or to help in any cause that we can to stopping any endangerment of any animals, specifically here with rhinos, but in general, you know, we all have one planet, one earth. And I would love for my children to wake up one day in the future, you know, when I have kids and see all these animals that I grew up seeing or knowing. Well, we have a while to go until that can happen, but thank you for advocating on the behalf of rhinoceroses because it is a major point of species extinction these days, and it's always great to have that sort of uh, a charitable component to your business as well, and it makes sense. You're the vegan rhino, so I will post a link on our website, animalvoices.org, to that donate page where people can learn more about rhino conservation and donating to groups who are trying to help to save the rhino. So let's talk about the book. Please tell us about the book, The Ultimate Vegan Holiday Feast, and what inspired you to write it? I personally love vegan holiday cookbooks, and I look forward to making the recipes out of yours. I love making all different kinds of recipes for the holidays, so that is exciting to me, and that's why I wanted to have you on the show, so you can share (laughs) this excitement and joy with our listeners, because food is food. (laughs) Vegan food is awesome. I'm sure your recipes are too. I've seen some of your videos and the sort of like your techniques that you use or you really know what you're doing when you're making food, I must say, from what the little that I've seen. And well, some things you. were really amazing too, like those cocoa chocolate balls that you put on hot chocolate like that that was oh yeah the hot yeah. cocoa bomb yeah, yeah. yeah that, that was above average i would say in terms of culinary <laughs> genius I, yeah those have been a huge yeah. huge hit on the internet recently when i saw that i was like wow I just need to get all up in that. <laughs> love that. I love the adventurousness yeah. and for making it vegan and making it accessible to to your followers online. Of course. What we what we can do is we can always try and usually we always succeed. There's nothing oh, that yeah. vegans cannot have. Oh, that's totally true. Right. Yeah. Now that there's aquafaba, we can do anything, right? <laughs> Exactly. (laughs) And who would have known to use the leftover bean juice from a can of chickpeas? Right. Yeah. Not many people know that. But yeah, chickpea liquid is aquafaba and you can use it for meringues and a whole bunch of different desserts. And it's it's great. It's a magic ingredient. Yeah. So basically, the ultimate vegan holiday feast ebook was, you know, just something that I've kind of always wanted to put together since becoming vegan. I'm in 2017. When I was starting out, there was a lot out there, but I didn't really see anything for myself that spoke to home. A lot of the recipes and the creations that I do, I really focus on like memories and what I used to enjoy and 
to recreate those in a veganized version. So during the holidays specifically, you know, it can always be tricky, you know, for lots of vegans or newly vegans. And my reason behind this collection was just to simply provide, you know, my personal take on holiday dishes. Like I said, I love to personally showcase what I've enjoyed throughout, you know, my lifetime and just to implement that in this ebook. And that's kind of what I did with it. So can you give us some examples of some of your favorite recipes that you'd like to share just with our listeners right now to give them an idea of what they can find in the book? So this ebook currently right now has about 35 plus recipes. And then in regards to what I think are my favorite, I mean, I guess I have to say all of them, no. um, but <laughs> I can't eat all of them though, I would for definitely... your holiday meal. Shoes. <laughs> I wish, right? But no, I would say the the vibrant pomegranate stuffing with the lemon cashew cream sauce that looks amazing. Um, by the way, that that was yeah. That's like my favorite, I think. People need to check out your Instagram. It's the Vegan Rhino to see photos of all of these dishes. That looks amazing. And it's... Yeah, uh, that's my favorite. Or like maybe the candied almonds, those apple hand pies. Mm. Um, Ooh, the bread pudding with the vanilla custard. That looks good. Your carrot cake ice cream looks to die for. (laughs) The ice cream. Even those sweet potato hash browns that I did. Those were really good for the morning. Or what was it? The sweet potato waffles. How's your roast turkey with mushroom sauce? I saw the photo. I haven't looked at the recipe yet, but what is that like? And is that a seitan based dish? Yeah, so it uses vital wheat gluten. And what I like about it is that it's very subtle. I find that a lot of like the brands that make the fake meat products, I don't want to name any particular, but I just find them to be sometimes a little not like too fake feeling, but it just has this weirdness to me sometimes. And with mine, it just has like subtle flavor. It's not too much. It's not too little. It has good texture. You know, it chews well. It's great smothered in gravy. And I just enjoy a non-processed version, I guess, so to speak. So that's where I kind of come with, with that homemade turkey. So I guess a lot of our listeners aren't familiar with what Satan is. I say that I praise Satan. Do you? Because <laughs> it's, uh, it's such a versatile thing to work with. Yeah, I'm not too big on it. Um, Satan and tempeh um, are two of my, like, probably on the, the, the bottom of the totem pole, I guess you would say. Um, I eat a lot more tofu. Um, a lot more than people would probably like to see, but I genuinely really, really enjoy tofu as, as that. But seitan is good too. It depends on, on how it's made, in all honesty. Exactly. And I think I think if people see recipes that are seitan based, you're making your own meat. And I tell people it's mm-hmm. it's wheat meat, which is really what it is. It's using, I believe it's 75% protein of vital wheat gluten flour. So whoever's made the flour has already stirred it down so that you're all the glutinous, proteinous, components are already there yeah Yeah. and then what you do is just like basically mix it with some water and it's like you're making a loaf of bread it kind of has that texture Uh but then you can either steam it or you can bake it and i think some people boil it even there like you said there's different ways to make it and that's sort of what i haven't really gotten past yet because yeah i've kind of steamed it once and then baked in the oven a little bit for some barbecue i've done some other things but 
Yeah, it's it's interesting. It's definitely interesting. It's versatile, and there's different ways to do it. But I I just want to tell people that it's it is accessible. Like every store has Vital Wheat Gluten Flour that I've seen, mm-hmm. and you have water at home, and you're just mixing it together. And to be able to see your loaf of meat that you've baked in the oven come out, and you're slicing it like it's a turkey. Right. So I think that's a really good transitional food that hopefully will satiate people's desires to have turkeys. But that's t- moving on to my, yeah, my next agree. question. So, you know, some people are really stuck on having that turkey or that ham during the Christmas holiday. I have a friend and who I'm planning on making a very decadent vegan meal for this COVID Christmas. Yummy yum. He told me, though, <laughs> that he's going to, this is after, he told me he's going to, he said, I'm going to cook a small turkey for myself this year. Oh, I'm like, no. what? I'm cooking for you, man. Like, what do you mean? <laughs> and he, he knows I'm going to make something for him and anything, and he loves everything that I make for him. I've been cooking vegan for him for mm-hmm. years. and But still, somehow, this is showing me that he still can't get out of his lifetime of old habits and traditions to consider that perhaps he can be kind to animals this year and kind to his body by not celebrating with a dead rotting carcass on his Christmas table. So what advice do you have for our listeners who still have the notion entrenched into them that you have to have this deceased body as a centerpiece of a special meal in order to celebrate the holidays? How does one make the leap and make the compassionate connections of leaving old hurtful traditions behind and beginning new ones? So I think that's a really good question that you're asking. And I think that, you know, many of us will be facing that during the holiday season, especially for vegans that have family members that are, you know, non-vegan. Kind of to begin, I guess my food philosophy is to, you know, don't knock it unless you've tried it. You know, you said that your friend loves all the vegan food um, that you're making. And I find that to be great. And I also find it hard sometimes when we have such a deep root in holiday and memories and tradition in trying to rescope, you know, what that means for us during these holiday times. Because a lot of us want to reminisce and have those, you know, well, my grandma used to make this ham or, you know, so-and-so used to make this amazing something. And, you know, I find it difficult because we as vegans, we want to put a stamp on it and say like, you know, don't do that. What are you thinking? And I almost find it kind of abrasive sometimes because they, as in, you know, this person who wants to have some type of meat or something, is going to look at you and just think of it like, whoa, like take a step back, you know? So I think coming at it in an approach of, look, you know, I'm making this delicious meal for you. You know, I would really appreciate it. You know, if maybe we didn't do this, um, you know, maybe we, you can do that a different time or something, but just show them that, you know, you're trying to provide to them, you know, a cruelty free meal and it's going to be delicious because you're making it. Well, the thing is, is and, there's going to be a lot of leftovers that I would give him. So he doesn't have a need to cook this little suffering animal exactly. on his and own. That's, and that's the, the purpose of it. I feel like to convey that you're trying to do something special, hopefully they would see that and not take it as like, a, I'm still going to do this and defy, you know, your wishes sort of thing. But, you know, we also have to realize that people want to do what they want to do. 
And, you know, I've never been somebody to forcefully say, you know, hey, don't blah, blah, blah. But I do think there is no need for it. There's no need to make a small turkey if you're cooking everything. Exactly. And I think that you showing, hey, you know, I'm trying to cook a compassionate dinner. I don't want to have this in my home. These are my values. And just showing like your cause and what you stand for. And hopefully they just respect, you know, that decision. Oh, yeah. And if not, at the end of the day, you know, I mean. No, he that no one stinks, no but... one's bringing a dead turkey into my house. He knows yeah. that. He he meant that <laughs> yeah. he was going to make a little one to eat just himself at home by himself. So, <laughs> what's the point? Yeah, that yeah. There's no point, but they yeah, they feel that that that's what's the holiday. You know, it's not a holiday without this. But I feel like just kind of showcasing that you're still going to make an amazing vegan feast with or without that being there and that they're going to enjoy it. I think that's what truly matters. Yes. And I think that for anyone who thinks this way as well is you have to go meet a turkey. Seriously. The turkeys I have met have been the most kind and affectionate creatures. Like turkeys are actually very affectionate. They'll they'll jump up on your lap and cuddle with you like they don't even know you. And they're very trusting beings. And I would hate to think that, uh, you know, I go to animal sanctuaries, farm sanctuaries, where Mm -hmm. these turkeys have been rescued actually from Thanksgiving and Christmas dinners. And to think that this beautiful turkey who's sitting on my lap and cuddling on me was meant to be actually slaughtered at this certain date and somehow got out of that situation where the millions of others didn't. So I, I, yeah. I feel like... And that's why I think it's, it's important to lead by example and to, like you said, maybe take them to a, an animal shelter oh, or yeah. to that's on my a sanctuary list. Yeah. or something like that, you know, just to re-waken them up in a sense. Like, this is what you're going to be killing, your little small turkey that you don't need. Like, do you need to kill this for yourself right now? No, you know. He would say no. Whenever I even just show him videos or pictures, he's like, no, I don't need this. I can go vegan. But he then he forgets the next day. So there you go. That's yeah. people for you. <laughs> and, just, and just to reiterate, to be that positive influence and just to lead by example. I mean, everything I do, I'm not really that vocal with, you know, the animals and all these different things. I kind of like to lead by food and mm-hmm. show that you don't need to you know, be so outspoken all the time to lead in the sense that I'm trying to, which is cruelty-free food options. Right. And when you're stuffing people with all of your amazing dishes from your book, for example, (laughs) for the holidays, they're not going to miss everything. It's about crowding out the dead animals and creating new traditions. A hundred percent agree. Yeah. A lot of my friends, honestly, throughout the years, they've always been you know, very supportive and encouraging of the food and what I do. So within transitioning to veganism and then really putting myself out there in a completely different light, you know, all those people that would say, you know, I can't wait for you to open a restaurant are now, you know, messaging me like, wow, like I really can't wait, you know, for your restaurant and to try, you know, vegan food. And they're just so amazed at how good it looks. And I think that's what's so important. It's just Food is food. You know, it's going to be good as long as you season it. That's where the flavor comes from. So if you don't understand that, 
then your food is going to be bland and basic. Oh, we want delicious so food we don't want because we're, food, right? we're both foodies. <laughs> and a lot of people love their food as well. And I have heard so many yeah. people say after actually trying the vegan food from either something I made or from a potluck or from a restaurant, they'll say, if I could eat this every day, I'd go vegan. And it's just a matter of either, I understand a lot of people don't mm -hmm. want to cook, but it's either a matter of learning how to cook or just during this COVID pandemic we have, everyone's ordering out at, from restaurants. And I was doing that for a while just to support the local mm -hmm. vegan restaurants. It was my once a week treat. And I know a yeah. lot of people are ordering out and if they ordered the vegan stuff, like we have some amazing vegan restaurants here in Vancouver, amazing food, they would love it. and. They, they wouldn't be missing anything for sure. So finally, Ryan, how will you be spending your vegan Christmas in Florida this year? This is someone asking who has never before experienced a December in anywhere but the cold winterlands of Canada. And I'm shivering here wrapped in my blanket and wearing big fuzzy socks right now <laughs> as we speak. So how will you be spending the ultimate vegan holiday in a few weeks coming up? <laughs> Allison, you bring back so many memories right now, those good old cold days in Ohio. This year, it's going to be a little bit different. You know, as many of us have already seen with Thanksgiving, you know, the pandemic has definitely hit home uh, to a lot of us. But lots of Christmas cookies, for starters. Definitely, we'll be making my Russian tea cakes. Basically, those are like mm. a little cookie with too. chopped pecans. And once they're baked, um, you roll them in powdered sugar. They're, yeah, my mom used to make those every year since I was a kid. So nice. now that I am vegan, I make them. <laughs> mm. And uh, gingerbread, you know, cookies as well. But, you know, the pandemic is still widespread. You know, I'm just going to be staying down in Florida. I'm just going to FaceTime my family. That's what I did for Thanksgiving. And I thought that was more special because, you know, my grandmother, uh, my Nana, she didn't even know that we had like, you know, this capability of doing these type uh, of things. So it was just nice to be there for her as well, just to kind of showcase, you know, that I'm still around just because the pandemic is here doesn't mean that, you know, we can't fly home and see you and things like that. So she liked that a lot. Yeah, I'm sort of in the same situation. I have no family or like to spend Christmas with this year because of the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And But my parents and I, we do Skype calls. And my sister, we could totally do a Skype call where we're, we're eating our, I'll make sure my mom cooks a vegan Christmas dinner. She usually does, but <laughs> I'm, my sister and I aren't there this year. So, yeah. but it, it will be, she knows how to, and, and we can all be enjoying our dinners over exactly. Skype, actually. That's a cool idea. Uh, yeah, it was a great time. It was nice to sit down. You know, we said our family prayer. And then, you know, just to be able to chit chat and have that discussion as if I was there like we normally would. You know, it was it was honestly just fantastic. And even though the pandemic is here, I don't think that it really ruined my Thanksgiving because I was still able to like be a participant in the holiday time. So that's good, because what it's all about is spending it, you know, with your close loved ones who we exactly. can't we can't this year but we can through technology so exactly and plus the food too you can't go wrong with food and i made so much food <laughs> oh so that was that was great that. you know but for christmas yeah. though for the food uh, i'll definitely be using a mix of recipes from my ebook i just launched the ultimate mm -hmm. holiday um, vegan feast but um little drum roll i do have a hanukkah and christmas ebook um coming out soon as well okay um so those are going to be launching 
We can find those at your blog, theveganrhino.com, because you have a shop on there, right? Correct, yes. Okay. So you can either find this at theveganrhino.com or theveganrhino.shop. Well, I can't wait to, first of all, read from front to back your whole book, because that's what I do for cookbooks. I, to me, half the pleasure is actually reading all the fine details and then thinking, like, what am I going to make? And then I'm going to make mm-hmm. stuff from your book as well, because I want to do that for myself so that I I can have my own joyful alone Christmas here where because I love making food I usually don't make food unless it's for people so I'm trying to figure out how like I said I'm having my one friend over but I want to I want to cook more throughout the holidays and because there's yeah. so there's so many great holiday recipes coming out right now thank you so much Ryan Shepherd, owner of the vegan rhino food blog vegan foodie extraordinaire and author of the new ebook called the ultimate vegan holiday feast and upcoming a Christmas and Hanukkah book coming out. It's been a pleasure to meet you and, and to have you on our holiday themed show today. You can find Ryan at his website, theveganrhino.com, and buy his books there and check out his beautiful food photos on Instagram at theveganrhino. He's also got lots of recipes on his website. And if all of this talk of yummy plant based food in Ryan's holidays recipe has inspired you, of course, you can purchase his book on his website as well, theveganrhino.com. Enjoy the winter holiday in sunny Florida. That's kind of an oxymoron, but enjoy regardless, Ryan. I look forward to making your recipes. Stay safe and have the ultimate vegan holiday this year. Thank you, Allison. And a big thank you as well for having me on Vancouver Co-op Radio with Animal Voices. The Greater Vancouver Food Bank has been providing support for our cities for almost 40 years and has been vital to helping thousands of community members through the COVID-19 crisis. To find out how you might benefit from the Greater Vancouver Food Bank's services, or to learn how you might donate money or volunteer your time, please visit their website at foodbank.bc.ca. You are listening to the Animal Voices Show on 100.5 FM CFRO, on Vancouver Co-op Radio in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. For our second interview today to celebrate the vegan holiday season, we have Los Angeles-based food lover, plant-based nutritionist, vegan mom, lifestyle blogger, and cookie entrepreneur Audrey Denham on the show. Audrey's passion is in sharing manageable lifestyle tips and tasty recipes that anyone can feel good about making for the ones they love, especially for the holiday season. You're going to want to check out her YouTube channel for many enticing recipes on there, and they are all plant-based. As a matter of great timing, Audrey has just published an incredible looking book for the holidays called Vegan Christmas Cookies and Cocoa. And she's here today to share with us sweet inspirations from her book to discuss what it's like to raise a vegan family with young kids, to give some nutrition advice and to share tips on how to spend a happy and compassionate pandemic holiday season this year. Hello, Audrey, and welcome to the Animal Voices Show. Hey, Allison. Thank you so much for having me. What a pleasure. Well, it's my pleasure because we're celebrating the holidays here and you're the perfect person who I want to share vegan sweet treats with because we... (laughs) 
I feel like we kind of come from the same background in that. Like I was reading your bio and there's so many like connections that I totally relate to. So we're going to talk about those. So I'm, I'm, just, yeah, I'm excited to discuss Perfect. your book, which I, I only actually just learned about it last week as being one of Veg News Magazine's top 10 vegan cookbooks for the 2020 holidays. But there's so there's so much hey, yes. more I want to talk about as well. You have quite a background and passion in food and uh, it also in fitness and nutrition. So could you share for our listeners your journey that led you to appreciating good food and eventually led you to learning about veganism and making the switch and the lifestyle? Oh, sure. So starting from a young age, I had, it seemed like I had two big passions in life. It was food and baking and the fitness and health. And, and it was so weird. It was kind of a, a, lots of mixed feelings growing up saying, well, you know, eventually I'm going to have to pick one. I'm either going to be working in food or I'm going to be a nutrition person and a fitness person. And it was just kind of like this tug of war. I didn't feel like the two could really live harmoniously together and that um, I would have to pick. And so in my twenties, I chose to go the route of fitness and nutrition got involved in fitness competitions where it was very, very strict dieting. And actually, I should say, when I started training for my very first fitness competition, when I hired my first coach, I was a vegetarian. That's the first time that I had dipped into that. I remember him saying, he said, okay, well, you're a vegetarian. Well, you're going to have to eat a lot of tofu. And that was his exact <laughs> his exact words. And at that point, I, I wasn't even sure that I even ate much tofu. I was just barely getting into this world of vegetarianism. Ate a lot of cheese, a lot of dairy back then. And yeah, <laughs> yeah and then the, the fake meats, the fake chicken nuggets, the whole thing. Because, um, you know, you're just trying to figure it out. And back then, internet wasn't super huge yet and was just reading books in between going to school and working and whatnot and trying to figure it out. So so I got into the fitness competition world and eventually was persuaded by people around me in the gym and fitness magazines and of course my coach. And I was basically told you're not going to be able to be successful in fitness if you don't eat animal protein. You have to have the whey protein shakes. You have to have your chicken breast and your fish. And even when I ate meat, I hated fish. I just Same with stand me. It. it was never anything that I enjoyed. Oh, I just, <laughs> so funny. So anyway, I, I remember going to the, the meat counter. I'd been a vegetarian for a couple of years. And I remember going up to the meat counter in Whole Foods going, okay, well, I'm going to switch back to eating meat. At least I'm going to get the best kind. And so I'm trying to figure out, read all the labels, if there was any chickens that were treated nicely, if, which ones were had the best life <laughs> before this point. And I remember the butcher walking up saying, can I help you? And I'm like, not yet. I just need a minute. And <laughs> he just looked at me like I was crazy. Like, what's wrong with this girl? What kind of meat do you want? Anyway, so went back to eating the chicken and, the, and started eating fish and did the egg whites and the whole deal in the fitness world, what they tell you that you should be eating. And what was crazy though, I did a total of, let's see, how many fitness competitions? Seven competitions over five years. And what was crazy was here I was, I'd, I'd gotten certified in sports nutrition and fitness training. I was building up a clientele and and loved it. And the trouble was after each fitness competition, I would suddenly gain back all the weight that I lost for the competition. And it was like 20 pounds or so. You have to get really lean in order to be able to see all your muscle definition. And I didn't get it. I'm like, I'm still doing these long workouts. I'm eating all the protein I'm supposed to be eating. I'm following everything by the book. 
all I'm doing is adding in a little bit of extra carbs, a little extra treat now and then, and doing a long workout. So what is the deal? I didn't quite get it. And it was this constant battle. And all the while, I was ruining my relationship with food. I had this list in my head of here are the foods you're supposed to be eating and here are the foods that are bad. And when you're eating the foods that are bad, you are doing damage to your body and you're going to pay for it tomorrow on the scale. And it was just, it was emotionally just exhausting. And I didn't even realize how long I was putting up with it. And after I talked to other people and get on the topic of this, I realized like, this isn't normal. Other people don't feel this way unless you're a chronic diet I, yourself. Yeah, that, that's and, me. Um, or, I know exactly how it feels. Yeah, right. <laughs> I feel it right <laughs> yeah. now, and actually. Well, it's it's interesting. It's like it's a combination of a lot of things. I finally made the decision. I said, forget it. There's a better way. And it was embarrassing too because I had these clients, I had family and friends that would watch me yo-yo in my weight. And even though I was never a giant person necessarily uh, or severely overweight, it was just kind of odd that I had this wide range of clothing in my closet of several sizes. <laughs> I have size 4 to 14 in my closet, seriously, and I've worn them all. <laughs> oh gosh, well I I me too. I've been there done that and I finally set out on a journey. I'm like this is it. I'm going to figure this out. I just wanted to dive in head first and figure this out because I would look around me at these other people that were what we call naturally thin, right? The people around us that can eat whatever they want and they still stay, stay very, very slim. And so I'm like, I'm going to figure out what it is. What are they doing differently? Because I don't buy it that it's genetics. I don't because every now and then these people will gain weight themselves and they'll tell me like, wow, I don't know what happened last month, but I gained five pounds and I don't know. And then I'm like, well, just go back to whatever you were doing before because obviously something shifted and then, oh yeah, you're right. Okay. There are a couple of things I started doing differently. And then they'd go right back. I'm like, okay, it's not just their genetics. There's, there's something that they're doing subconsciously. And so let's, let's dive in. I started reading some books. I started reading about intuitive eating, which is basically learning to listen to your body, which is really, really hard when you have this world around you that's telling you all this stuff about diet and what you should be eating and paleo and all these other things. And it gets really, really confusing. And you, you, completely lose track of that ability to listen to your body. And we're born with that. Babies know when to stop drinking milk usually know when they're full and they walk away. But there's some things that can get in the way of you not being able to listen to that. And part of that is the diet industry. So I started reading about that. And that that took me a long time to wrap my mind around six months or so, maybe even a year of being like, okay, I'm going to eat when I'm hungry. And I'm going to stop eating when I'm about 80% full. And I'm going to give myself permission to eat again anytime that I'm hungry. But anyway, I could go on and on. We could do a whole separate show just about this topic. But what led me to veganism is ultimately I said, you know what? Okay, I don't want the trick that's going to just help me be thin. I want to be the healthiest too. So that's where that's when the vegan plant-based lifestyle entered the picture. I started looking. I'm like, okay, first I'm going to do research on the foods that are the very, very healthiest in the world, but also are very, very filling. And it turns out those are plants. So we have our beans, super high in fiber. We have all of our vegetables and fruit loaded with water and fiber and grains. And when you compare those to animal foods, it doesn't even compare. You could fill your stomach all the way to the brim and you still only have 400 calories worth of plant foods. Whereas if you have a, a diet that's heavy in animal products, 400 calories was only like the tip of the iceberg or only halfway full. And so it takes a lot more calories to fill up your stomach on an animal protein or if you have a, a lot of oils in your diet too. 
So anyway, so that's, that's what got me into the vegan world. But, you know, I had the background of my early 20s, too, where I, I did it more for animal rights and for that side of things. And then later on in life, after my competition years, in my 30s, learning about the vegan plant-based world and all the health benefits, and they all just kind of came together. And uh, so here we are. That's the very long story. <laughs> yes, but you, you still didn't answer my burning question is, oh, okay, what was I... the catalyst? Did you read a book? Did you see a movie? Like, what was it that made it like click for you? I guess it was that moment of realizing that we didn't need it. When I started researching the healthiest foods on the planet and seeing that everything that, that made that list, just when it came to vitamin and, and mineral density, fiber, the foods that are anti-inflammatory, that fight cancer, they all are plants. It wasn't one particular moment necessarily for me. It was kind of like this gradual period of my this life, period of my life where I was learning these things day by day, but I was committed to figuring this out. I wanted to figure out what the best foods to eat were and what was the healthiest and what would help me to me and my family live the longest and the healthiest lives possible. So it was gradual for me. And for some people, they do have that moment. They'll watch Forks Over Knives or What the Health. And they'd be like, that's it. I'm, I'm, I'm going in starting tomorrow. No going back. Um, I love me- it when that happens. <laughs> yeah. Only it was that easy with everyone. <laughs> I know. No, not for me. And then even, even after, even then, there were some foods that I had a hard time letting go of, like cheese. You know, that's the typical one we hear about. And it, honestly, there's three three types of foods that are that can cause a lot of cravings. So the ones that are the high in fat, high in salt, and high in sugar. And so with cheese, you have two of those things. So it's no wonder we crave it so much and we love it. It's high in fat and salt. So it can be hard to let go of. I understand, but for me, so for me, it was like okay, completely vegetarian, no meat whatsoever. Done with the ice cream. I'm good. But every once in a while, I want a little cheese in my salad. And then I would do that. And after a while, I started learning about the dairy industry and what those poor cows go through. And what, you know, what most people don't realize is that a cow has to be pregnant in order to produce milk. They don't just stand around and produce milk, which is what most people think. It's so it's so interesting. I talk to people all the time. In fact, somebody in our neighborhood, we have live in a rural community. They needed to find a home for a cow. <laughs> and and we, we thought about it for a half second. And, and then we realized our property, that the slope that we're on, it just wasn't cut out for a cow to live happily. But somebody in our circle made a remark, well, if you take on a cow, you're going to have to milk it all the time. Do you want to do that? And, and like I just remember thinking like, oh my gosh, the average person doesn't realize they have to be pregnant. How in the world are we going to keep up with the dairy industry's demand for milk? We have to find a way to get these cows pregnant fast. And I'm just going to leave it at that. With that, that's a whole other show yes, as well. It's like, another show, but it's a it's it's a really warped to be continued <laughs> there that people need to look into for the shortest education ever I, and most thorough. I would say to go onto YouTube and watch the six minute video. Dairy is scary. If you want to really get into it, read the China study. Like I'm sure you have. <laughs> Oh, man. Yeah. And then, of course, becoming a mother five years ago to my twin boys, you know, you learn that, okay, they're getting these cows pregnant. And then as soon as the babies are born, they're immediately taken away so that we can have the milk and not the baby. And then that is just, I mean, the most heartbreaking thing ever, because you're breaking up that natural bond between the mother and the baby and they have to, they're pulled away. And oh, I can't even, I can't even talk about it. It just makes me so sad. But most people don't know that they have no clue. 
You see, that's the kind of information on my Facebook that I tried to put out there for the mothers who I know. And I'm hoping that they're going to see some kind of connection where they're connecting their bond with their child with the bond that obviously every animal has with their children and cows are not exempt from that. So even animals have those same feelings of fear and nurturing and love and and all of these natural feelings and people try and make this argument like animals aren't as smart. I'm like, well, they're pretty smart. And they are smart, <laughs> but that's not but, even a reason. Yeah. What does that mean that they don't deserve to be with their child after it's born? You know, after they're little. Babies. I know animals who are smarter than people who I know. And- oh, totally. Yeah. My little <laughs> dog, she's, she's sharp. <laughs> so Love that. Yeah, that I love that. And if people don't have exposure to a, a dog and running around their house, they're just not going to know. But again, that's another topic that oh, yeah. I've been reading about another that day. lately. <laughs> but moving um, on here, let's see, let's see, where am I at? You say your goal is to make vegan eating as easy and approachable and delicious as possible. So I would like to learn more about what has incited this philosophy and goal in your discovery of plant-based nutrition and eating, it seems like that is what sparks joy for you in your life. And and that's the same for me too, but I want to hear how you feel about it. Sure. So I, I, I just had to think, step back and think about this for a bit on who my natural audience is just off the bat. My husband is a comedian and ventriloquist, Jeff Dunham. And naturally, the people that start following me in the beginning um, just my friends and family, of course, but then are his fans. And so I needed to re- realize who was hearing me when I went on social media, who was seeing my blog posts. And even to this day, that's probably the majority of the people that come my way uh, is are people that love him. They find out who his wife is, and then they see I have um, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube channel, and the whole thing, and they start to check things out. So my goal is to make the vegan world look super approachable and super delicious. So the average person who isn't already plant-based feels like, Hey, this might be something I'd like to try, or at least start with a couple of recipes. So that's, that's my goal. And that's why I have written this first cookbook, vegan Christmas cookies and cocoa, which I have right here. I realize that most people are going to have the hardest time around the holidays because that's when we are used to eating certain foods that our families make that, that go back to childhood, especially Christmas cookies for me. And honestly, I've been in that position where uh, here I am, I'm, I'm plant-based and vegan, but oh boy, here come the holidays and here come all the foods that I'm used to eating year after year. I guess this will be the time that I relax and just have some of my old foods. And then I'll go back to the vegan lifestyle after the holidays or just try and, and find balance between the two. And in some cases, this can work for some people if that's the approach they want to take. But I do see some people completely fall off the wagon. And then after the holidays go by, they, they've kind of like lost sight of their reason for wanting to, to do the, uh, the vegan diet, plant-based diet, and they kind of fall off the wagon, I guess you could say. So I, my goal is to make the recipes veganized so that you don't have to do that. 
and that you don't even have to worry about it. The amazing recipes are there. You're not giving up anything. I, and I feel bad for those people who fall off the wagon, <laughs> but that's what we have the January for if you're familiar right. with yeah. that program. Sure. So it's time for them. If they know they're going to eat a bunch of dead animals and that, they can sign up now for January to rectify those <laughs> ill wrongdoings that they will regret right, right after. <laughs> you are also, as you mentioned, you're a vegan mom to two five-year-old twin boys. I believe their names are James and Jack. Is that correct? Correct. Yep. Yep. One little redhead and one yeah, little they're, brunette. They're cute. I've been watching them on your videos on your YouTube. When transitioning <laughs> to veganism, you got your whole family to go along as well, which sometimes doesn't happen very well. And it frustrates me when I read on online yeah. vegan family forums like, oh, I have to make six separate meals for dinner because of this person, because of this person. And I think if you made a vegan meal, it would satisfy everyone. They are going to have to learn how to change their palates, which takes three, three to six sure. weeks for your taste buds to change over. It's not impossible. Like, yeah. I feel like, like, please don't be weak at it. Like you've, you've received the message. Uh, it's causing you joy. Go ahead and spread it to everyone else, especially your little boys, because your job is to raise mm -hmm. them as a mother and to give them the best that you possibly can. And you, d you discovered the best. So that's how they've been growing up. And then also, as you mentioned, your incredibly famous comedian husband, Jeff Dunham, he's also vegan. <laughs> but yeah, so what is it like for you as a vegan mom raising two five-year-old vegan boys how do they take it do they eat what you give them and what is their awareness level like as to where their food and other people's food comes from well it's it's pretty interesting i'm i'm pretty blunt with them about what certain foods are and i don't gloss over it and give it any cute names so any candy that has gelatin in it i'll say oh that has cow feed in it we don't want that <laughs> and they just think that's so gross they're like oh cow feed um, <laughs> they just don't people just don't realize I mean, it's so funny these days i think that the candy industry they're coming along they're starting to learn more and more about how people are learning about these ingredients and hey wait a minute they're all alternatives out there. We can use something else instead, just like with the confectioner's glaze that comes from bugs. Same type of thing. People are catching on. So maybe we should rethink this. In fact, Skittles did that a few years back. They learned that people were turned off after they heard about confectioner's glaze. They're like, you know what? Let's tackle this right now and find an alternative so that we're ahead of the, ahead of the game. Good for them. It, it's such yeah. an easy change for them. When I see, because obviously... I always look at ingredients boxes. I'm sure you know what that's like. Yeah. I can't imagine living a life where you just pick things off the shelf and put them in your cart and buy them. I have to look at every single label, but in a way that is actually a good thing because shouldn't you be aware of every ingredient that you're putting into your body, right? So yeah, people have this extreme trust in the FDA, what's allowed to be on grocery store shelves. I think everything is researched. There's nothing that could possibly harm me that's on the grocery store. Otherwise, it wouldn't be allowed here. It's not true. Money is a very big and powerful thing. And we can get into that all day long, too. That's another topic that we can talk, you know, tackle some other day. But it's really up to us to learn which foods. Ultimately, it comes down to this. There are foods that we should be eating all the time, the majority of the time. And then there should be foods that are categorized as true. Treats. And we have treats in our house every single day, whether it's a couple of tortilla chips, whether it's cookies, that's usually the case, <laughs> a couple of squares of dark chocolate. But 98% of the time, 
we eat really clean, good food. And mm. that's, that's ultimately how you have the balance. And, and then just being really present when you eat too. Looking at the colors with kids, that's really big. If, if, if you have to focus oh, on presentation, yeah. Yeah. making things really colorful and beautiful. Even starting, you, and you can never think that like a two-year-old or a three-year-old won't appreciate these things. They absolutely appreciate it right from the start. And so if you can put together something really pretty, it doesn't have to be fancy, but you, you, mm. you want to just be aware that those little things matter. A lot of color. Sometimes I'll look down at their plate and like, wow, that's a lot of green and brown. So I'll grab some cherry tomatoes, cut them in half, put those right in the center of the plate or some strawberries and just to add a pop of color and just make everything look really pretty. And then besides presentation, you also want to focus on the why. So I'll, uh, they start, my kids will start asking me, so what do you think is the healthiest food in the whole world, mom? And we talk about this a lot. And I'm like, well, there's a lot of them. Like, is broccoli the most healthy? I'm like, it's up there. What about beans? Are beans healthier than broccoli? And so it's just having these conversations and and telling them, okay, that food right there on your plate is going to make you really strong and um, make you really healthy. And especially right now with the pandemic, we just tell people a lot of people are sick. That's that's what we keep telling them. Oh, we can't do that because a lot of people are sick and they get it. And you just kind of think about what will be appealing to that particular child and say, these foods are going to help you achieve this and grow this certain way and make you strong. And then this food, that cookie that you're eating right there, that's a treat. That's amazing. Not necessarily going to make you stronger, gonna taste good. <laughs> but it's going to, it makes you it's happy. It's the holiday yeah. season and mom <laughs> makes cookies. Just curious, yeah. do you ever take your sons to farm animal sanctuaries? Yeah, we do. We have a couple nearby. Um, we've been to a couple. Oh, you're in LA, and, right? Yes. Um, and I'm, I'm trying to think of some of the names right now. I'm completely drawing a blank. There's Farm Sanctuary in Acton. And then 15 mm-hmm. minutes from there, there's the Gentle Barn. Those are just up. Gentle yeah, Barn. those are just kind of up in the mountains. Yeah, we've been there. Yeah, Gentle Barn is an yep. amazing place. I interviewed Ellie Locks for the show when her book came out years ago. Yeah. She's such a great person. If you want to read your, her book and be totally inspired, it's one of the best books I've ever read. We're going to get to the cookies now since I'm still drooling over reviewing your new book, Vegan Cookies and Cocoa. I've been reading that in the past couple days and I must say it's a beautifully done book with outstanding color popping photographs. I think each and every recipe in the book has a photograph and that's how a great cookbook is done, by the way. (laughs) You probably knew that. I really appreciated your food styling skills, which you've showed in the behind the scenes video of your photo shoot for the book on YouTube. And I posted that on our Facebook page at Animal Voices Vancouver. So it really does make a difference to make beautiful photos. I think if you're using like decorative holiday props and the ones that you chose always went really well. So, so yeah. that's Thank good you. on your part. Yeah. With this book, I mean, it, I published it myself and I actually started it in mid June. So it was this crazy whirlwind project that I just dove in head first. I have to say if, if anybody's feeling the blues right now due to COVID, start a big project because it really distracts you. <laughs> and especially if it's something you're excited about, it, that's my biggest and advice. Start in June or July if it's for Christmas. <laughs> yeah, at least. I mean, I've I've learned. Yeah, it, you have to. It, it was it was a, a a really quick project, and I knew that I wanted to create a book that was not only loaded with amazing recipes 
but was inspiring just with the photographs, like you said. I know what I want in a cookbook, and so I wanted that to create that for other people. A great cookbook to me is loaded with gorgeous pictures. And so this book is loaded with not only pictures, but full-size pictures. It was really, really important to me that people would sit down with this book and just be super inspired, but also be able to see what the finished product is supposed to look like. And ultimately, to me, especially if you have a long, complicated recipe, you're trying to picture in your head, okay, I think this is what this is supposed to look like. And so instead, I wanted to kind of take that guesswork out of it and just make it as easy for people to understand and try and emulate as possible. Thanks. And so ultimately, that's that's the goal with any entrepreneur. I, I think they basically get inspired by creating something because they they think that there's something missing in the world. And so they're going to be the ones to provide it. That was missing <laughs> so. in the world because I, for many, many years, I've been always scouting for vegan holiday cookbooks and vegan Christmas cookie cookbooks. And sure. then, I usually, then I usually interview the author because I'm so into this. I, I love making food <laughs> for the holidays. And I used to make tons and tons of cookies every year and then just give them out to everyone. I work at a lot of different locations. So everyone would get like a box of cookies. And I think your so book, has, I think your book has inspired me. I just like to go through a book that I really like and make every single recipe. So you're my next project. Awesome. Yes. Oh, yeah. thank you. I'm flattered. Yeah. There's a lot of, uh, there's some good ones in there. <laughs> oh yeah. There's ones in there that I used to make that I'm familiar with, with what, whatever recipe, I don't know. Similar. I'm looking at the ingredients. I'm going, yeah, those are regular ingredients the only maybe weird ingredient I don't know if it's considered weird these days by um, regular people <laughs> I'm not regular <laughs> you're not regular could you use flaxseed in your cookies can you talk to us about uh, flaxseed and what your use for it is in almost every cookie recipe yeah, so it's interesting with ground flaxseed. It's an amazing egg replacer once it is combined with water. And that's pretty common. Anybody who does a lot of vegan baking, yeah, you realize that. But then the tricky part is here we are with sugar cookies. And you can see ground flaxseed. And so you don't want to ruin that beautiful cookie by having little brown specks in it that aren't normally there on a sugar cookie. So yes, in the darker colored brownies and bars and treats and cookies, I did typically go the ground flaxseed route. Every once in a while, there'd be a recipe where you could kind of taste it. So I took it out and I found something else. But then of course, for anything that's light colored, like Linzer's or spritz cookies or sugar cookies, I knew flaxseed is not going to work. So you got to find something else to to take its place. And so I kind of had to step back and think about it. What is the purpose of eggs in these recipes anyway? And in a lot of cases, it was just for moisture or for the fat or to make things a little bit fluffier. Yeah. And what can I use instead that will create that same effect and make this cookie just as amazing as what people are used to, whether they're vegan or not, or maybe they just became vegan and they're trying to find something that's very similar, if not better than what they're used to. So that was my goal is to create recipes that did just that. And yeah, sometimes it was flaxseed and sometimes it wasn't. But what's great about ground flaxseed is that it's a superfood and people should be incorporating it into their lives anyway. And when I walk into a common everyday grocery store, not like a Whole Foods or anything that's a natural food store, but just an average everyday 
uh, grocery store, I see some of them don't have ground flaxseed. I'm like, this is, I mean, I get it. People don't know about it. It's not a staple, but everybody should know about it because it's an insanely healthy food, mainly because it has omega-3s in it. And those are really, really hard to get in other foods. And people will say, okay, well, eat your fish to get omega-3s. What they don't realize is that fish don't naturally have omega-3s in their fat cells. They get it from their environment, from the algae, and that's how they're getting it. So we're getting it kind of secondhand if you choose to go the fish route. There's a whole bunch of reasons why you shouldn't go that route, of course, which another. I mean, for the average everyday person, it's just not a healthy source of fat in general because any living thing, whether it's an animal or a person or fish, you carry toxins in your fat cells. You just store them there naturally. All living things do, living, breathing things do. And so fish, when you eat them, you're taking in all the toxins that they had stored in their body. So that's problem number one. We're talking about mercury, all kinds of heavy metals and leads and, and whatnot from the toxic environment they're living in. And then also the fact that we're overfishing and by 2050, if we don't change, we won't have any fish in the ocean. So there's a bunch of reasons why you shouldn't go the fish oil route for your omega-3s. Ground flaxseed, much better option. Right. And a lot of people don't know that there is that direct uh, transitional alternative. Well, to me, it's just, it's, it's not an alternative. It's what you can take one tablespoon of ground flaxseed per day, throw it in your cookie recipe. But I always say just throw it in your smoothie, throw it in oatmeal. something and, and try to get mm -hmm. it oatmeal. That's a good idea. And just try to get it every day because that's one of the top superfoods that you should be eating any every totally. day according to dr michael greger and and he's oh, right yeah. he's right <laughs> and he and yeah. it does deliver that omega-3 nutrition so when people like miley cyrus quit all of veganism because they said they couldn't get their omega-3s through veganism so had to need needed to take some fish oil she obviously didn't consult a nutritionist nor uh, Google. So, <laughs> well, and unfortunately, a lot of nutritionists, if they if they get taught the old school way of thinking, then even a nutritionist can get it wrong because they will be like, "Wait a minute!" And when I went to school, I was taught that lean proteins were the best, like the chicken breast, and if you're gonna have eggs, have egg whites, and, and you know what I mean. So they're taught that old school way of thinking. All the same stuff that I learned when I got my sports nutrition certificate. Um, and so, you know, it's really, I mean, it comes down to kind of stepping outside of your comfort zone every once in a while and start learning about, well, wait a minute, which foods actually fight heart disease, which ones exactly. so I don't have to take the prescription drugs my whole life, and which foods are going to help reverse diabetes, type 2 diabetes, and, and or lessen my insulin needs for type 1 diabetes. Yeah. What what does it take? And, and not just accept the answer from a medical doctor. Because if you think about it, a medical doctor goes to school to study medicine. That's a medical stand, medical medicine. They go hand in hand. So if you make the decision to go see a medical doctor, and I'm not saying I have medical doctors in my family. I love them. They do amazing things. We can't live without them. But for things outside of extreme emergencies, like your heart health, you got to understand that they're taught about drugs and medicine and how to fix things with drugs and medicine. So unfortunately, that's that's what people trust the most. If you step outside that and really start reading some books, trusting other sources instead, you'll see that there's a much better way and that food actually can heal the body. Well, just like all health professionals should be doing. And by the way, I give a copy to the of the China study to every health practitioner who I see, whether it's a naturopath oh, or my GP or my physiotherapist, I because I collect them. Nice. And I say, here, nice. this is for you. Read it. Yeah, <laughs> It'll help you with your yeah, knowledge perfect. and your practice. 
And uh, one of them actually said they had already read it, my GP, which is pretty cool. I'm like, good, you at least have the knowledge because they're really the ones that can take that knowledge and actually use it in their practices to affect so many people. Right. And, mm-hmm. uh, and sometimes right. a book like that has and will continue to c- completely transform people to the point where our regular health practitioners will be using that as a guide to go by with newfound information. And they have to upgrade sure. their skills every year anyways, too. So you yeah. would think that they, well, you, you would think that people by now would know that, yeah, you don't need to be eating lean meats and tons of egg whites to be a bodybuilder. That is such old news. But that's, that's again, a topic <laughs> for another issue. Yeah. We'll, we'll get there one day. So going back to cookies, <laughs> yes. I, I love giving homemade food and treats for holiday gifts. So that's, as I mentioned, I make tons of cookies and and give them out. Of course, they're always vegan. When I started doing this many years ago, I just veganized most of my cookie recipes from the standard animal product recipe cookie book that I already owned. And I learned for myself the process of what it takes to replace eggs and butter that are commonly used. I I realized it really wasn't that difficult. I enjoyed reading through your recipes because what I'm seeing is lovely and long love standards of the holiday cookies with lots of new ideas as well. Wow, I couldn't believe the marshmallow recipe when I got to the end. I have to make those. And I'm also a food (laughs) experimenter. So anything with agar, I'm in. So, Oh, nice. Yeah, that one is a, yeah. that one is a it's it's a very easy recipe, but there are a lot of steps. So you just have to make sure that the timing on each I mean this is for you and anybody listening that um that the timing on each step is correct and that will that will make all the difference in the world because it is a tricky recipe. Um it was a tricky recipe to create, I should say. Very easy to do once you just follow step by step. And then and then it gives you this feeling of accomplishment. You're like, "Wow." I can't believe that I just made homemade marshmallows and they're so pretty. And then right before you give them to other people to add to their (laughs) hot cocoa at your hot cocoa bar, you dust the plate with powdered sugar and it just looks like this snowy mountain dream of homemade marshmallows. And people are going to be so impressed and think that you spent all this time when really it was super simple. Oh yeah, I want to do that well. So I've been, like I mentioned, I've been baking since I was a child and I love it. And whenever I have the opportunity, I always tell people that it's completely unnecessary to use animal products such as dairy and eggs in baking. I would think you would realize the same thing since you wrote a whole book about it. I I say that it's not needed at all. And and that would be a shocking secret to many, perhaps. I feel like things like cow's butter or chicken's eggs were originally used because someone strangely came up with the idea of using ingredients that they already had because people used to keep cows and and chickens and and use their other body parts as well to consume. But I think, you know, as I mentioned before, they don't think so much about what the purpose is. So you have to think about what the purpose is for that ingredient that you're using. As I mentioned, for me, eggs for cookies is a lot to do with binding. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if you ever do this, but what I found for most of the cookies that I've done, and I've done like dozens of different kinds, usually you can simply substitute a quarter cup of applesauce as your egg. Mm -hmm. It makes it soft and chewy. 
Sure. So, yeah. 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 So that's always been sort of my go-to and they always work out. You're using your soy milk or whatever plant-based milk to, you know, knead the dough with to make sure that it's as soft or as hard. That That's a learning curve is... It's moisture. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes the moisture content in your house isn't the same as someone who lives in LA, for example, and you're like, this <laughs> dough is hard. Just got to add some water or some soy milk. Right. So, so there's basically nothing we can't make. We even have bean juice now, which is called aquafaba. And I noticed yeah. it's in at least one of your recipes. And oh, yeah. that can be used to make delicious meringues or just to achieve real fluffiness. And yeah. we didn't have that before. And now we do. So game changer. Yeah. Yeah. So what is your take on transitioning from using instead of using animal excretions in your baking? And how can butter, we spoke about the flax eggs, but what about the rest? How can it be easily replaced? And maybe you can speak about what those animal products roles are in the cookies and how we don't need them. They're so easy to replace. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you touched on so much already with the with the binding aspect with the eggs. Sometimes, uh, as I mentioned before, you just need a little bit of fat, a richness from the saturated fat from the eggs. And that's what the use of the eggs is. And so you got to keep in mind for each individual recipe, what was that role of that egg or of that butter. Butter is so easy because there's so many amazing vegan butters out there now. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I personally like the ones that list vegetable oil, vegetable oil blend as the first ingredient rather than coconut oil. A couple of reasons. I mean, it's it's a little bit less saturated fat. And so I feel yeah. like the, the vegetable oil blend, besides being a little bit healthier in that regard, it just seems to go best with cookies flavor wise. Otherwise, you're risking having a little bit of a coconut flavor come through and mm-hmm. That's fine if you're okay with it and you're the only ones eating it. But if you're passing it on to somebody and saying it's just like the regular version, but then they taste coconut, then it's not just like the regular version. So to me, I really love some vegan coconut based butters out there for some things, but not with cookie recipes. So that's just one tip that I have. And I have a bunch of tips in the beginning of the book just to start off. I I liked, I really liked the one about not using hot pans to cook on because I only, I only have a certain amount of pans, like four or something like that. And when I'm, when I'm operating my cookie factory, I'm just going like nonstop pans, pans. As soon as they're out of the oven, I'm putting them on plates by the window to cool off or a cookie rack. And then I'm getting them back on the silicone. I use silicone mats for my cookie dishes. The Silpat? Yes. Sure. I'm a big fan of parchment paper. And you can actually get unbleached parchment sheets that are pre-cut and they arrive at your door completely flat. They're not in a roll. And I just line every baking sheet with that. But my mom, she's a big fan of using the silicone. Um, but either way, you can't go wrong. And and really any nonstick baking sheet will do the trick. And most of these recipes have some fat in them. And so they yeah. they probably won't stick anyway, but you just want to be really careful. Yeah. But not having the hot sheets. I mean, what people don't realize is that if you have a hot sheet, you're starting the baking process for that individual cookie. If you put cookie dough on a hot sheet, even if it's a little bit warm, it was sitting on top of your stove while the while the oven was preheating, you are still putting cookie dough onto a warm sheet and it's starting the cooking process. And so what I do is I offer that bit of advice just so that just to help ensure that those cookies will turn out just perfect for everybody. I was really, really particular about baking times. Um, and I always feel like it's it's better to slightly underbake than overbake I because agree. you just get a nicer <laughs> texture. So if you're in question, 
just take it out of the oven. And I offer a lot of advice throughout the book on how to know exactly when cookies are ready. And it's not the same for each and every one. Sometimes it's just the matter of whether or not the surface of the cookie is now a matte um, type finish rather than shiny. You don't want a shiny cookie that, that usually shows that it's not done yet. If it's more matte, then it's done. You don't want to look for that brown around the edges necessarily. That, that can actually mean that it's too done and it'll be crunchy rather than soft. Um, so, but for each individual recipe, I offer advice on that and how to tell. In your book, a lot of the cookies stand out to me because they're sort of similar to ones that I've made before. And some are just ones that just sound too good uh, to be true, like the salted caramel turtles, which I'll be making making. Uh, <laughs> soft and chewy ginger snaps. That's good. my favorite. And I understand you mm. say that's a really good recipe. Yeah. The spritz because Christmas yes. isn't Christmas without the spritz. And I love making those cute little cookies. <laughs> and then another They're one so that, I mean, I saw the picture and I saw the ingredients like I have to make those. I used to make truffles. So these are the mint cookie cheesecake yeah. truffles, which is going to be, I think, a whole new flavor explosion in my mind that I've never encountered before. Oh, so but good. what is really nice is that people like them and, and they see that you've gone to this effort and they enjoy these kind of treats. And then you go, oh, and they're vegan. <laughs> That's actually, a, this. Is, it, yeah, I always forget that the gifting part is actually a part of my vegan food outreach activism as well. Sure. Because I, you always want to say, oh, did you like the cookies? Oh, yeah, they're amazing. Oh, they're all vegan. <laughs> and taking them, taking them to workplaces, actually, like I mentioned, I work at many different locations. Every year, I would deliver to all the different locations. And, and I'd always write, these are dairy-free, egg-free cookies. The word vegan wasn't as common back then but now I would put vegan because yeah. it's everywhere mm -hmm. but I put that so pe people can know if they have allergies they can eat them but also they can see how beautiful they are like that that plate of cookies that you showed from your book because I put all the different kinds like on a Christmas platter and wrap them up and they can see that there there's no way they're going to not have something from there they go pretty fast and to know that they're vegan huh yep. that could be their first transitional thought into plant-based food right, so exactly. it's also about the education when it when you're gifting as well and also about feeding your family because I'm sure your little boys love the cookies oh, yeah. and the cocos mm -hmm. yeah we haven't talked about the drink so Tell me, you've got um, hot cocos, you have lattes, which I was seeing the flavors and I would only ever get one of those in a Starbucks, like maybe once a year when they have sure. them. I had the gingerbread and the pumpkin spice once and I don't know how to make a latte, but now I do <laughs> because it's in the book. Yeah. So I'll have to make some of those as well. Like what was your inspiration? It seems like you incorporate lattes and hot cocoa and that in your family, which is great. Can I be part of your family but. <laughs> well it's just like you sometimes it's just once a year it's just something it's not something that we're drinking every day around here but it's it, it's it's the accent that little extra special touch to an already special moment and sometimes it's just when my mom and I are sitting down and planning out the holiday meals and what we're gonna make who's gonna make what we have a latte. Yeah. It's so fun. And I actually going to the grocery stores is one of my favorite things to do. A lot of people, they hate it, but yeah. I love it. And um, I could spend half, half a day in a grocery store just reading labels and checking out what's new. But 
Yeah, I wish I had time. Oh, I I do that. (laughs) Yeah. Right. I do do spend, I always know it's going to be a couple of hours if I go to the grocery shop. These days I don't go as much as usual, like once every two weeks. And I went went to Costco for the first time recently since March because there was just stories of all these lineups that were lasting like over an hour. But I just walked in and I was happy to find, because there's always new vegan products in Costco and Uh I need to check them out. I need to go up and down each and every single aisle to see what's new. I love Costco. Yeah. And I love the fact that they make the organic super easy to see with those green signs. I don't know if it's like that in in your Costco as well, but anything that's organic, it's a green sign instead of a white one. Yeah. You walk into the produce section, especially that one room that's refrigerated and you want to get in and out as fast as possible. The one with the blueberries and, and, you know, Oh yeah, you yeah, walk yeah. in. It's crazy. <laughs> like I need to get out of here. Okay, and then you can just glance around the whole area. Okay, that's organic. That's organic. Okay, yeah, and then get out. Yep, yep, yep. So um, I know, good old Costco, good stuff. So finally, Audrey, to end on both a positive and realistic note, and I mentioned that you're based in LA with your your husband must be very busy, but I know he tours a lot as well. Probably not this year, Correct. which means you get to spend a lot of family time together. Yep. So how are the Dunhams going to spend a kind, safe, and sweet Christmas for our one-of-a-kind pandemic holiday this year? Well, it's interesting. I mean, it's, it's, it's like a lot of families are trying to figure out what to do about all the family members that normally fly into town. Jeff has three grown daughters. I have three stepdaughters. They normally are all here for the holidays, if not for Christmas, then Thanksgiving. And one of them is in Montana. She just had her first baby, um, she and her husband. And then also the youngest daughter, Kenna, she's in going to school in Chicago and Kenna hasn't seen any family since the end of January. So trying to figure out what to do, what would be best about how to celebrate this Christmas. So it's tricky and it feels like each week we're learning something new. There's new restrictions. So we, we still haven't figured it out yet. We're going we're gonna to take it one day at a time. But what I realized was some of the, my happiest holiday moments so far haven't had anything to do with the pandemic whatsoever. The other day we decorated the Christmas tree with our two boys and it was one of the highlights of being a parent thus far because they're at an age now where they are getting it. They're super excited about Christmas. They are taking part in things that they never have before. I was always decorating the tree by myself or with with my husband. We'd do it after uh, they go to bed or maybe just the kids would just put on a couple ornaments in the past, things like that. And this time it was a family thing. And wow, this was one of the highlights. We took a lot of pictures and videos. It was adorable and it had nothing to do with what was going outside of our house. So I think that ultimately, if I can offer any advice to anybody else is to make more moments like that for yourself, even if you're by yourself. And that's hopefully where this book will come in um, handy for some people or any type of Christmas cookie recipe. I would highly recommend getting in your kitchen. It is such a joy to create something and such a, a sense of accomplishment. You have the wonderful flavors. You have the smells. You can put on some Christmas music and just make some really special moments. And I actually used to do that when I was single and I lived in an apartment by myself, it was one of the highlights of my Christmas season was baking those Christmas cookies. If you don't give them to anybody, yeah. fine, put them in your freezer. They'll keep and. Yeah. Oh, I thought you were going to say fine, eat them all yourself. That's the thing is then I, and then I have all these like, like boxes and boxes of cookies. I'm like, okay, these definitely have to go out. So this year I have to make sure not to make too many. Just one final quick question is, so it seems like you've got some great family traditions. 
Is there anything, has your family, your two young boys, your husband, have they missed anything since transitioning to a vegan household when it comes to celebrating the holidays? Oh, sure. Uh, My husband used to love deep frying a turkey. And it was something that if we didn't do it at Thanksgiving, we would do it at Christmas. And it was just kind of Jeff's thing. It was, it was his job. And he does miss that just having like his, his big job, the thing that he was really good at. But he realizes that the the good of not having it out way outweighs the bad. And ultimately, it's coming down to that reason why and he wants to live a long time. He wants to be healthy. He wants Mm. to be all there nice and sharp. He wants to be able to move around and keep up with his kids, not have to deal with cancer, not have to deal with heart disease. And just and so he he realizes the reasons why are much stronger than anything else. The good outweighs the bad. He's smart. Yeah, I mean, it's- yeah, and and what about what about the little boys? Do they are they proud of their veganism? Do they talk to their friends about why they shouldn't be killing animals? <laughs> Which I'm just asking because young children are so truthful; sure. they don't have they don't have a filter. They just say it as it is. I love young kids like that, especially young little vegans. Oh, I know, and and it it comes down to that reason why again, and and honestly, the rest of society, the people that eat meat, they're conditioned to think that it's okay. So a kid's natural instinct when they're really young, when they're babies, they don't want to reach for a rabbit and tear into it like a lion cub would. They want to pet it and they want to snuggle it. And then they see a bowl of strawberries and they're drawn to that instead. You know, a lot of plant-based doctors have made the same analogy when it comes down to the argument of whether or not we should be eating meat just in general. It's just not a natural instinct for us to, to grab something and eat it raw and tear into it. It's a learned habit. Yes. Right. And then, and then we have this thing, yeah. you know, paradigm in society, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm speaking the obvious here, but it's just like this belief that yes, there is killing involved, but we don't talk about that. And yeah, they probably don't live very good lives, but we're not going to talk about that. And a lot of it comes down to people thinking that we need meat to be healthy. And so even as a parent myself and the boys were, were uh, born, I mean, I, I dipped into veganism in 2014 and then I became pregnant in 2015 and there was just a lot of confusion as to having a healthy pregnancy, things like that. And, and, um, so when my boys were old enough to start having conversations with them, you know, I did as much research as I possibly could as a parent, got the certificate from E. Cornell, learned as much as I could so that I could make the best decisions for them. And then realized I'm like, wow, everybody, all these people think that you need dairy and you don't, it's the exact opposite. It's actually kind of like poison for our bodies and for our kids. So just being really honest with them about the reasons why we don't, we talk about that a lot. But the tricky part comes from the classroom parties at school. They go to a school where they do celebrate holidays. And so it's a little bit tricky when kids bring things into the classroom to share with everybody. And some of the best advice I can offer when your kids are really young, try not to focus on being perfect all the time with parents and you have small, small kids, you do the very best you can. But if somebody gives your kids some candy corn and has a little bit of honey in it, try not to freak out. And you really want to think about the big picture of you want your kid to be proud and happy to be a vegan. But in the beginning, if you start pulling things away from them and yanking candy corns out of their hand, they're more likely to want to rebel against it as they get older because they're tortured by it and they're going to have those memories of candy taken out of their hand. You just have to take it one case at a time and not expect to be perfect. My kids have never had meat. They've never had meat. But when it comes to those little things, like the little bit of confectioner's glaze every once in a while, if somebody hands them something, 
you got to just think about the big picture, what's best in the long run. And if they feel like they're missing out or if that they're constantly getting things taken away, then part of the joy of being a vegan is, is not going to be there. And so you have to be armed. You have to be ready with replacements, other candies to give them instead that are bright and shiny and beautiful and delicious so that they don't feel like they're missing out. So that, I mean, I would do the best you can. You, you can't, you can't expect to be perfect, but you do the very best you can. Well, it certainly <laughs> seems like with a mom like you, they are not missing or wanting for anything <laughs> when it comes to food. Their lunches look great. Oh, I've thanks. seen some of your other recipes, all those vegan cookies and lattes and, <laughs> and hot chocolates that they're going to be drinking for the holiday season. Sure. They're going to do just fine, and your <laughs> husband as well. And maybe you can uh, suggest that he, you said deep fry. We don't do that here, but de- <laughs> okay. he can deep fry a tofurkey. <laughs> he can deep fry tofurkey. There you go. And then, and you know, it's about, it's about ch- changing your traditions to meet your new values that you hold. And you can still have tradition, right? But just change it around a bit. Yeah. So um, it's, it's wonderful how the humans can actually morph in that way where adaptable and as long as I think you have the joy in your heart of spending time with your kids and your family like there's something else that you all really need right so Mm. I guess that's a good note to say have a happy COVID safe holiday (laughs) thank you so much Audrey Denham for coming on the show today to share with us your inspiration from your book Vegan Christmas Cookies and Cocoa and how to spend a safe sweet and happy COVID Christmas this year it's been a pleasure speaking to you. Please visit Audrey's Vegan Lifestyle blog at AudreyDenham.com and you can purchase her new book there as well in both hardcover and ebook forms. Also, you can connect with her on Facebook and Instagram at Audrey Denham. Once again, stay safe. Best wishes to you and your family for a happy vegan Thank holiday you so season. Much. Thanks for having me. All right. And now for some news. This week, it was announced that there is a COVID-19 outbreak at a mink farm in Chilliwack in the Fraser Valley. So these mink are being farmed for their fur, for fashion accessories, all sorts of stuff that people don't need. Eight of the workers were announced to have contracted the virus on on Monday. It was announced that eight of these workers had COVID, so they're obviously isolating. And then it was just Wednesday that we learned that the mink themselves have actually contracted the virus. And this is particularly scary if you've been paying any attention to what's been happening in Denmark. Denmark has more mink farms than any other country in the world. And uh, within the past couple of months, they've had enough outbreaks that they've wound up culling or, you know, killing 17 million mink. And they're just they're just shutting everything down, even the healthy minks. They're just saying, you know, it's not worth the risk. And so they're kind of shutting down the industry. And uh, and so we had these warnings from Europe. They're not the only country in Europe who has begun to call their mink populations uh, in farms and uh, and take measures like that. Different countries, Netherlands, Spain, they're seeing this happening. And in Canada, we didn't see any particular action taken to prevent this. But now we're. this is the first time an outbreak on a mink farm has been announced in Canada. A lot of people don't know that 
there are mink farms in Canada. You know, it's not something that people talk about a lot. I didn't know we had mink farms in the Fraser Valley, actually, until I learned about this this week. Yeah, yeah. But uh, there are about 100 mink farms across the country, and uh, including a few here in BC. And the industry themselves have said that because of COVID alone, they expect to be down about 50%, down to about 40 farms across the country by the time this pandemic is through, which is wonderful, right? You know, like talking about pandemic bright sides, but I mean, it's it's an awful situation for these mink either way, because, you know, whether they're getting called because of the pandemic, whether they're getting sick and dying because of COVID, or whether they, you know, even without the pandemic, they're being bred purely for the purposes of fashion products that nobody needs. So it's it's a tragic situation. But the particularly scary thing here and something that they were seeing in Denmark is that mink serve as a carrier for the virus and the virus can mutate within the mink so that when the virus hits humans again, then it can be a different form of the virus, which is, you know, important because we're talking about these vaccines that we want everybody to get to beat this pandemic. But these vaccines will not be effective on these new strains that could mutate and develop within situations such as these mink farms. We've seen this talked about in the news since the pandemic started with regards to slaughterhouses and other just animal farms where animals are kept in close quarters. It provides an opportunity for epidemic to arise. And unlike the meat industry, the fur industry has very little as far as any sort of substantial argument stand on as far as continuing business as usual. And in fact, 81% of Canadians oppose the killing of animals for their fur, according to a survey from Research Coast. So it's an opportunity to phase out this industry. It's posing a health risk to humans. It's an abhorrent abuse of animals, no question about it. And it's just not necessary. So local animal production group, the Fur Bears, has a page on their website where it just takes a second. You just fill in your name and you can send a letter to your MLA and uh, the Minister of Agriculture urging the government to help phase out these farms, you know, help these fur farmers get into another line of business and enforce restrictions so that these situations can't happen. We'll have that posted on our Facebook page, Animal Voices Vancouver, and uh, you can learn a lot more about the fur industry and about this issue in particular at thefurbearers.com. You've been listening to the Animal Voices radio show on 100.5 FM, Vancouver Co-op Radio on unceded and ancestral Tsleil-Waututh, Musqueam, and Squamish territories in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. Thank you for listening to the two-hour extended version of this week's podcast. Next week, please join us for the show on Friday, December the 18th. Grace will be producing the show. What can we expect for next week's show, Grace? Absolutely. Well, next week will be the last night of Hanukkah. So we're going to talk a bit about the overlaps between veganism and the Jewish religion, which is something that I've wanted to take a deep dive into for a while. 
And we will also be talking to a young entrepreneur couple who started Yellow Rose Vegan Baking in New Jersey. December 10th will be their first day opening, and we get to talk to them with after that first week of running a small business in your 20s selling amazing vegan baked goods. So stay tuned for that next week. Well, I'm looking forward to that. We here at the Animal Voices show modestly ask you to keep connected with Animal Voices via the World Wide Web. Our past shows can be listened to on our website at animalvoices.org. Our past podcasts are also available on Apple Podcasts and Google Play, so you can subscribe to us there and never miss a show. Join our Facebook page and join us on Instagram, both at Animal Voices Vancouver. And if you want to get in touch, let us know how we're doing or send along show segment ideas. You can send us a note on Facebook or send us an email to info at animalvoices.org. And yes, we are on Twitter as well at Animal Voices YVR. Also, it's December. It's time for year-end donations to get the most out of your tax deductions. Vancouver Co-op Radio, from where we broadcast the Animal Voices show, is a non-profit charitable organization, and we rely on our supporters to keep the station alive. It's a community radio station. If you appreciate the work we do here at Co-op Radio to bring you original, thoughtful, and relevant content almost every week now during the pandemic, please consider making a monetary tax-deductible donation in name of Animal Voices by going to cooperadio.org slash donate to make a secure contribution. We thank you so much in advance. To close the show today, we are playing the special 2020 version of All I Want for Christmas by the YVR Pop Choir featuring soloist Gracie Messina. Stay tuned next for Radio EcoShock with Alex Smith. Thank you so much for listening to Animal Voices today. Stay safe and remember to be kind to the animals. I don't want a lot for Christmas There is just one thing I need I need you to keep your distance at least six feet away from me I want to hear your lovely tone But only over Zoom or phone Together we'll move through I will social distance